I'm Jason Bailey Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting Conversations on Contemporary Art and Culture in Los Angeles and Beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Leah Dietrich. Leah wrote the book Vanishing Twins, and it was published in 2018. We recorded this episode shortly thereafter. If you can do the math, that means that this episode was recorded over a year ago. It has taken me a while to put this out into the public because the content of the episode is actually really personal to me. Re-editing this today and listening to it again, it made me want to be a better partner to the person I'm in a relationship with. I thank Leah for taking the time to be on the show and more importantly for her patience and letting me get this out there. I want to start this episode with Leah reading a short selection from the book and then we'll go into the interview directly. So without further ado, here's Leah. We like to believe that a mirror shows us our truest self, but it rarely does. If you're right up against it with your nose touching the glass, you don't see anything at all. That was the way I pressed myself to Eric and Elena and Ethan. I was too close and could not focus. Leah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You have written a book, Vanishing Twins, that just came out and we're in, it came out September 2nd? 4th. 4th. Yeah. Okay. So it is a memoir. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about what it is? Like give a brief description of it? Yeah. It begins with this hypothesis that I had that I should have been born a twin and that my vanished twin was the thing that I've been sort of seeking to find in a variety of relationships that I've had, both romantic and not. And kind of coming to terms with the just the sort of pressure to find your missing half in life and realizing that, you know, I'm whole on my own and that I don't necessarily need to use someone else to try to complete me. The person, the partner that's in your book, your husband, Eric, is one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. I have been aware of the book being written for a long time. Yeah. So my, and I guess I didn't know where to start on this, but I I was going to say, my seeing how the book was written and its production up until this point now was all viewed through a lens and being filtered through my friendship with your husband. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to expect when I picked it up. And I told you this just a little bit ago, but I read it till like 4 a.m. last night in one sitting and it was amazing. Thank you. Really well written, but it was very honest and I did not expect, I guess you and I, we, we know each other and we know each other fairly well, but we know each other through your husband, right? Yeah, exactly. So we hear stories about each other. Yep. The, the knowing certain things about each other and having an intimacy that is filtered through somebody else is just, it's an unusual thing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's a common thing, but it is, it is an unusual thing to then have this different lens, I guess, like you're saying, or this different little... Well, peek into situations that maybe you've already heard about. Well, well, yes, I've, a lot. Of, <laughs> yes, I've heard about like a lot of these things that are in right. here. And the book is very intimate and it's incredibly personal. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this time frame, but I, I'm sure you are. I met your husband directly after this book, the 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 end of the book finishes. Then he and I met, and right. then I was introduced to you. 
Right. Because you both, you moved to Los Angeles at the same time that he moved back to Los Angeles. Exactly. Yeah. And then we started becoming friends and became closer. So I was hearing about the things that were taking place in the book prior to us meeting. And if I'm completely honest, I did not expect to like the book. Yeah. I was, um, and I texted him last night when I was reading it. I said, you know, I'm reading this thing and I felt like I did not give Leah a chance to hear her side of things. Mm-hmm because I had already had this preconceived notion of what I was expecting Mm -hmm. and I was wrong. And I'm sorry for not giving you the opportunity to speak and to, to even listen. And I really learned a lot about him and more about you than I ever thought I could. Well, I really appreciate that. But at the same time, I don't know that it requires an apology because at this, a lot of people, <laughs> although I'll always take one, but yeah, I think that's why I wanted to write this book in a lot of ways, because how often do you ever get the opportunity to really delve into all the things that you can delve into in, in a book, you know, like in 300 pages or whatever, this is one in of a the, like bar, you know, a chat at the bar with somebody. But I think, I think, I don't even know if it's our relationship that makes me want to apologize. It's the fact that this book is so well written that it makes me, I want to be a part of your story and close to what's happening and see your progression through understanding where you started in something and work through the problems and how it doesn't work or how it does work until you get to the end and figure out where your relationship needs to be. For sure. Yeah. That's a testament to your writing. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about, um, this idea of connection through shared experience Mm -hmm. and it's mentioned multiple times through the book where you're talking about this vanishing twin and finding this person who is your perfect connection. And every time you talk about it, at least in the, and this is what's nice about this is in the beginning of the story. And when you, before you meet your husband and then when you meet and everything, your idea of what connection is, is talking about shared experience Mm -hmm. through like the smell of burnt toast or Mm -hmm. through, singing the instrumental parts of like songs, right? So right. can you talk to me a bit about where, where that started or where did, where did that come from? Why? I don't know. I, um, I, I just feel like it was something that was always there that I, you know, whenever I was feeling, um, insecure, you know, or alone, which is, so common for lots of people, you know, especially in public. Like I just wanted to be validated, I guess, in some way that, you know, what, if it was something that I was unsure of about myself, well, if I saw that in another person, then I was like, okay, you know, solidarity or strength in numbers or something. Or I think alternately, if I saw something that I wanted in someone else, like my best friend growing up, I was so confident, you know, that I, I wanted that, so I was like, I'm going to make myself into her so that then maybe I can feel that confidence that I see coming out of her. So, you know, I don't know if it's like, yeah, just sort of always looking toward what was going to make me feel less alone and like more at ease with myself, which strangely then translated to like more at ease as part of a pair and less more at ease as myself, just unto me. And you see this throughout the book and the storyline as well is that you replicate the partner part of the aspect. You become part of that person and everybody does in a sense, right? But you more straightforward do that Mm -hmm. to the point where you meet a woman and you cut your hair in a similar form. Mm -hmm. You start dressing in a similar form. Mm -hmm. And 
I mentioned this to you. I said, I didn't right before we came in here. I said, I hope it's okay that I laughed out loud in a couple parts of this because it's, I hope it's meant to be funny. Yeah. But the recovery after the funny part is very sort of dry. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's an amazing part in here where, uh, your husband is in New York and you go to see him and you're, you put on the same outfit as him in its men's clothes mm-hmm. and he is not okay with it. Right. And he, and you said, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? What's and calling him out. I'm wearing. It's yeah, just calling it's exactly him out. what you're wearing. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, that's exactly what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's the sensitive points of a person and where they, the buttons that you push on somebody and how you interact with those individuals. I just thought all of that was really well f- fleshed out. How did you come to terms with understanding that where you were in that moment for each one of those things? Um, well, a lot of them, a lot of the moments, um, not all of them, but there's a lot of parts that do involve communication or dialogue like you're talking about. And a lot of them, not that one in particular, were written dialogues that I had with my husband when we were living apart, for instance. And so by re- since I saved a lot of those at the time, by rereading them, it was able to really put me back in that moment of you know, who I was then and who he was then and what was happening. I think that was a way that I was able to kind of inhabit that person, you know, to go back to really personal. Yeah. I was like able to, yeah, inhabit it in a way that, you know, maybe I couldn't have if I was, um, just remembering it, I guess. So you're able to get perspective on it because you're sitting at it from a distance now. Yeah, I think so. This Atwood quote that you bring up in the book, and I realize it's about perspective and having perspective on something. Can you talk a bit about the Atwood quote? Right. So the quote is, perspective is necessary. Otherwise, there are only two dimensions. Otherwise, you live with your face squashed up against a wall, everything a huge foreground of details, close-ups, hairs, the weave of the bedsheet, the molecules of the face, your own skin, like a map, a diagram of futility crisscrossed with tiny roads that lead nowhere. But it's funny because there's another Atwood quote that I can't remember if I put in the book now or if I just was talking I about, didn't see about a slowly heating bathtub and how you could be boiled to death without even knowing it. And so that was something I was thinking about as I was thinking about relationships in general and that if you don't take time to step back from them, there's this like inertia, you know, where something can be happening in your relationship that you don't even know is happening. And then it's been going on for years and years, you know, and you kind of haven't had the opportunity to digest it. Yeah. Or stop it. If, if it's something if it's that negative. needs to be stopped or, you know, yeah. Or even just acknowledge it. And so I think that that was a big reason that I wanted to, um, write about this time and this progression, both for like myself individually and my relationship, because I think that, um, that kind of um, examination to me just is really necessary in terms of evolving or learning Gross. from mistakes, you know, which is something that I hope that, you know, I can do both on a personal level, but that we can also do as a society, right? Well, I was talking to my wife this morning, who you know, Caitlin, um, and she said, she has not read it yet, and I was pushing it toward her. And she said, it's really interesting that you're, you're getting a lot out of the book because I'm the one who always reads these relationship books or the memoirs and that type of thing. And I've always, this is, I don't read this stuff Absolutely, normally. Yeah. And I say this stuff, not in a derogatory term. <laughs> no, no. I mean this genre. Yeah. Um, and she said it allows, it was an astute observation, but she said it's nice to look at 
and specifically about people you know, and you look at something from the outside and you think everything's perfect. Totally. Right. Yeah. And I've actually had, I mean, really only one other person say that to me, but I'm sure a lot of people I know feel this way of like, wow, I didn't know. Actually, my sister was one person who brought it up when she read it. She said, um, I had no idea that you felt this way during this time. I knew so little about it. I knew like some of the details. I knew that you were in an open, that you guys were in an open relationship. I knew you had met this woman. I knew, you know, just like the basics. General. Yeah. Well, that's what I knew. Right. Right. And I think she felt the same way, you know, that I wasn't able as it was going on (laughs) to have the perspective that I have now, like a decade later to reflect on why I was, you know, doing things the way I was doing them what it meant, how it affected other people. Um, and yeah, so it was really gratifying I think, for me to, to have her be able to like dive deeply into my psyche at the time and, and feel like, um, I don't know. Yeah. She was like, I'm sorry that I didn't, she didn't see it, that I wasn't there for you. And I was like, Oh my God, well, this you don't, is- again, you don't have to apologize. Cause I wasn't putting it out there. I wasn't letting anybody know about these things or how I felt. Both you and your husband are, very driven, smart, and uh, kind people, but also you strike the pros of being confident and powerful and knowing what you want all the time. Mm-hmm. So from someone sitting on the outside and looking in, it's hard to imagine that you're going through these things mm-hmm. or that there's these issues taking place. And for me personally, just understanding the narrative from uh, the background and seeing sort of issues. I, of course, you know that things are going on and and couples have these experiences, but rarely do you get to see the actual conversation. And like you said, you save the conversations. These are actual text conversations from uh, correspondence that you had Mm -hmm. and you kept diaries during this too. Yeah. I kept a, I was doing, it was more of a, um, I'm trying to remember. I think I was doing this like morning pages where I would force myself to write three pages a day just as like a writing prompt, but it was just journaling. That sounds intense. Yeah. It was just <laughs> journaling. And so I was using it, you know, especially before I had a therapist, I think I was just using it as this way to kind of like try to work through things. Work through things. Yeah. Which is again, like what I've always said, why I sort of my impulse toward writing is always to try to understand something about myself, about someone else, about the world, you know. I think it's important though. We haven't really specified details of what the book yeah. <laughs> book is. Yeah, yeah. So you can correct me if I'm wrong in any aspect of this. Sure. But essentially, it's about you and your your adolescence. Mm-hmm. Where you're also you're a dancer. A ballet dancer you're yeah. a ballet dancer, but like a rigorous like you went to college for this as well too. Mm-hmm. This is what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. So it's about you and about being part of a group not the principal, but like also that pairing and that twinning with the other people Mm -hmm. inside of that group. Right. Mm -hmm. So you move on into through relationships until you meet your husband. When you meet your husband, you start twinning with your husband. And then at some point in time, and I wanted to go back to this as well, there's a split Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily like a direct split, but it's a, it's an issue comes up where you're wondering if there's something else that you should be doing, Mm -hmm. even though you are, highly connected to your husband still. Right. So circumstances come up where he leaves town for a while, studies at a different place and you are split. And then you start a relationship with a woman Mm -hmm. who you become very close to and intimate Mm -hmm. and to the point where she wants you to move to be with her. Yeah, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And this would, 
and you say this in the book, that would mean the end to me and Eric, my husband. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and she, and there was a really, really nice moment in there. And I would assume that this was, uh, this was in a verbal conversation. So it must have been from a diary or something that you've just from memory, yeah, from memory. Where do you, do you remember what this is? This moment? Yeah, I think that what you're saying, you know, where I tell her that would mean the end of me and Eric. And she says, it doesn't have to. And I said, no, it, it would. And, but I think then it she, goes says on. It, she says, she says basically it's a choice. Yeah, exactly. And, and then I'm like, I'm making that choice. You're making the choice. And that's the first time I think throughout the entire story that you've made the choice. You have been definitive. You're not, mm-hmm. you've always sort of gone with this, pairing with an individual because you saw something in that individual that you wanted to emulate in your own life or be a part of. But it was the first time that you made this distinct choice, at least that I saw, Mm -hmm. to to go back to this thing that you knew at the time was right for you. Yeah. So eventually what happens is you and Eric Mm -hmm. become that team. But Eric is still, at that point, when you break up with her, he's still seeing other people because Mm -hmm. you have this open relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to deal with the repercussions of him still seeing people and you're not seeing people, but you're pining for this woman that you mm-hmm. have told no to, mm-hmm. to go back to him. But this can of worms has been opened. Totally. And then I don't feel like I can clo- ask that can of worms to be closed. Because you've because asked for I, it to be open. Yeah, exactly. So in the beginning of the book, you asked for an open relationship. An open relationship. Yeah. So what was, what was the reasoning behind that? I think I really you wanted. Were, you were young too at the yeah, time. I was probably... Well, so my husband and I met when I was 18, almost 19, which is really young. Super young. (laughs) And then moved in together nearly immediately. You were still in school. Yeah, I was a soft, I was a junior in college when we moved in together. So we spent those, you know, those early years, we never had a dating phase. We met, it was a long distance relationship, which, you know, now I realize is something that I like this sort of the time. Yeah. The distance and the time, the pining and all of that. But, um, you know, so we had met, we had this long distance relationship and then we immediately moved in together and then it probably, and we got married when I was 23. And then I would say, you know, by the time I was 25, so like six years later, I was just feeling kind of stuck or bored. And I was seeing my friends who, my best friend in particular at the time, um, who, was, you know, coming into her own sexuality as a gay person and she started dating women, you know, and then I, and my best friend from childhood also was with women. So you were wondering about, I was like, well, why I want to try that out too. Yeah. And, um, and it seemed like an easier, I don't know. It just seemed like it was different than our relationship. So it seemed like maybe an easier you thing. You and Eric. Yeah, from my relationship with him since he was a man, an easier thing to say, well, I want to try this thing that's maybe different from you, let's say. Yeah, I, I thought, and that's a I safe space like that, too. Yeah, I felt like it would be more, I don't know. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't a conscious thing. I think in hindsight, that's how I sort of see it. Because I also, you know, yeah, I was interested in how I would behave or evolve if I was in a relationship of some kind, like a romantic relationship with another person. Because I think I saw this trajectory of like, this is how I'm going to be in a relationship with him. I had this sort of very like, I don't know. Like a plan laid out? Yeah, or like closed-minded idea about it of like, this is us. We're just together. And I I didn't know how to like 
become Do you think that's myself. a part of age? Like the, how young you were at the time? Yeah. Like not understanding what the relationship actually meant? Po- yeah, probably. I mean, some aspect of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, but basically at the end of the day, I think I saw all of my friends who were single, you know, and figuring it out at 23, And 24. having the freedom to figure it out. Right. Um, whether or not, the, you know, it was about like having a relationship with someone of the same gender or not, you know, like it, it was, yeah, I was just jealous of that freedom to figure it out. And I, and I wanted that, but I also didn't want to give up the things that I loved so much about having the foundation of a relationship with somebody that I really loved and, you know, believed in and was inspired by. And so that's why I was like, well, why don't we try, let's try this, you know, let's try this other arrangement where maybe I can have the best of both worlds. And I, you know, it wasn't something that he necessarily was, um, as interested in. Well, and at the beginning too, you talk about how you introduce the idea in a soft form of being like, let's maybe introduce somebody into the bedroom with us as a third party, because that would be more interesting to him. Sure. And to make him feel like a participant, but then... Exactly. That was a tough sell for a lot of people, oddly. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, I I went into that a little bit in the book, but yeah, it was a little bit tougher than I had assumed to get somebody who we both liked and who we both, well, you, you know, both have different, stuff. yeah, you both have different ideals of what, what the partner you want is. Right. Which is interesting in itself because then it really makes you realize like, Oh, how different are we on that? Yeah. And you know, and is that exciting or is that scary? Because at the time I thought, Oh God, well, if we don't, if we're not interested in the same things, then, um, does that know, make us less of a, a, a good team well, or whatever. This, oh my God, this is something that keeps coming back up in the book too, is like when something like that happens, you start questioning the relationship, not just with with your husband, right. but with other individuals. If there's if there's a separation in any type of that twinning or, or, or that partnership, then everything comes into question. Yeah, which is definitely the way that I, I mean, I think it's a really simplistic view of, intimacy but that was the view that i had you were a kid yeah exactly right and and you didn't know any different and everything that you were doing in your life up until that point and probably the things that happened to you in your life just fostered that idea Mm -hmm. and continued to build it Mm -hmm. there's a moment where um i don't know if this directly relates to it but there's a moment when you're in college and it was sort of it was really heartbreaking where you talk about being pulled out of a group and being singled out to be a principal for something. Right, in ballet. In ballet. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in front of, like when they actually put you in front of the group, he sets you down and you were just basically. Yeah, an under, like not an understudy, but I had been, I had thought that I was going to be the like main character in this particular ballet because of the fact that the director had created, you know, had pulled me aside and had me do this, um, choreographed something for me with with, with another dancer. And then... I just assumed like, oh, this is it. I'm finally getting my moment in the sun. And then when we were in the big rehearsal, he, I did my part um, with, you know, with this other dancer. And then he was like, Jeanette, and like held out his hand to this other woman. Um, and then he was like, Jeanette is going to be the sacrifice This is the rite of spring is the ballet. But, um, and so I was like, oh, fuck, why didn't he tell, <laughs> why didn't he tell me that beforehand so I didn't get my hopes up somehow? Well, but this is, you speak about that afterwards where a, a ballerina is never supposed to show that she's disappointed, right? Exactly. And that what kind of, yeah, it reminds me of what you were talking about, about the just the 
uh, you know, the personality that I might project or that my husband well, might this as is well. just, it's compounded over the years through all these little things like this, yeah, right? Yeah. But your partner, the, the twinning, your husband mm-hmm. is the same way. Mm-hmm. He does not show emotion, uh, until there's a breaking point sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that, and I talk about this in the book too, that, you know, I trained very seriously to be a ballet dancer and he trained very seriously to be a cyclist. And, yeah. you know, he had aspirations of riding in the Tour de France and these kinds of things. And, and he was good. Yeah, really good. Very he good. won a lot. And I think that um, part of the reason that, you know, we understood each other and that way of... <laughs> you know, presenting yourself to the world, I think is because we had that same experience of like, you don't let it, you don't like show your cards or you don't yeah. let, you know. And I think that's been the work of our relationship too, is like allowing ourselves to finally, even to each other, just like let that facade go and find out. To you talk. Know, right. What we're really thinking, what we're really feeling. And and I, yeah, you know, a lot of that is in the book. So let's go into, if we're going to, let's, go linear Mm -hmm. and talk about the next phase in the book when you actually met. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, I mean, this is really interesting how quickly it sort of transpired, but if you want to give a brief synopsis of what, (laughs) how we met. Yeah. And just like how quickly that turned from meeting to going there to. Yeah. So we met, I, after I was a freshman in college, I had decided to quit ballet. Um, you, and you don't lay out like a specific reason. Was there a reason? No. And I, and even in all of the sort of, you know, um, remembering I'm doing about this period of time, like that's one of the biggest mysteries to me is like, where did that, Why where the hell was did the you seed of that idea? I still don't really know. I Maybe just, you were pissed off about that not being picked for the primary. Seriously. I mean, little shit like that builds up. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, I had always felt like I talked about at the beginning of the book, like I was never the principal dancer. I was always sort of part of the corps de ballet, which is the group of dancers. Why is that? I Because I wasn't quite good enough. Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't know if it was a body type, if it was, no. it was, you just were, you were really good. Yeah, but I wasn't that, that good. good, you know? And that's why I was constantly frustrated, I think, with ballet is that I was good enough to be playing in that sphere of like, I could do this as a career, but I'm always going to maybe be one of the sort of support people. This is a question and we'll move on to the, but this is a question about ballet and it's not necessarily even ballet, but sports in general. And you're looking at like collegiate sports. I don't know if it's fair for those institutions to use people at a certain level because the amount of hours that you have to study and work your ass off to not do that after you get out of college. I know. Like what is the, what's the end goal? And you're, they're all working you up to be a dancer in the future, right? Yeah. Like, well, my intention was always like that. Um, I was really just using majoring in ballet in college as like buying myself a couple more years to. to so you knew you weren't going to be a dancer. I didn't plan to be. Well, I thought I was going to be a dancer, but I didn't plan to to get a degree doing it. I just um, after my when I was a senior in high school, I like looked at colleges as a safety, and then I auditioned for ballet. Companies. You were in Indiana. Is that where you were? I went to college in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was growing up in Connecticut, and so I was auditioning for ballet companies. And simultaneously applying to colleges. And I was hoping that I would get a job at a ballet company that I wanted and that I would just do that and just say, well, I don't need college now. Yeah. Yeah. But I only was offered jobs. And, uh, you know, your first job in ballet is called an apprentice typically. 
which is like just basic, practically unpaid, but you're working full time. Well, and at this time your parents are supporting you. So you thought maybe your parents would still support you. Yep. And I think that they had agreed to do that because it's also in college. They're basically supporting. That's what's going to happen anyway. So at any rate, I was getting offers to be an apprentice at places that I didn't want to like ballet companies and sort of small cities like Cincinnati Ballet or (laughs) (laughs) didn't audition for that one. But so, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. I really wanted to dance in a big city like New York or that's pretty much it. So I thought, okay, well I'll, you know, I'll go to this school in Indiana, major in ballet. Um, and at least I can then feel like, okay, I'm getting some college credit. So if this doesn't work out, I'm not too far behind, but Hope, I, I thought after the first year, I'll like audition for companies again and hopefully I'll leave school and yeah. this will just be it. But yeah, at the end of that year, I never even got around to auditioning again, even though I felt like I was improving and I was starting to get more um, recognition and, you know, some like better roles like this one in the Rite of Spring. I was, you know, I had like a solo, which I hadn't had, you know, in some of my, some of the ballets earlier in the year and whatnot. So But then, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe you're helping me figure it out. Is that then when I was sort of had this, you know, blow of like, oh, you're actually not really the the lead or the main character. Was that toward the end of your decision? Um, Yeah, that was the the ballet that we did in the spring. And then I quit right after that. I don't know if like for me, it wouldn't even be about not getting the role. It'd be about the bullshit that happened to not get the role. Yeah. I don't know if I need that. Mm -hmm. I think that, well, and I've. I think I enjoyed college more than I had expected to. Yeah. And I was making connections with people. For instance, this best friend that I was talking about, you know, who's continued to be my best yeah, friend. Yeah, so I was going to say, you're still friends? Yeah. Um, Has you read the book? Yeah. What do you yeah. think? I have to talk to her about it more. We're going to talk about it today. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She lives here. So then you meet your husband. Yeah. And I met your him future husband. right after I decided to quit ballet. I told, you know, in the, in the spring after school, school was ending or when school was ending, I told everybody I'm not going to come back next year. I, I, I plan to come back to the university, but not study ballet anymore. And then immediately I flew to, um, visit another one of my ballet friends from high school who's living in Colorado and she was doing an apprentice job at Colorado ballet in Denver and also fed up with it. And she was quitting and going to college and her brother's roommate was, my future husband and we we had been told about each other because she had known him you know since she had been in high school because he was best friends with her brother and they had always told us um you guys would love each other you're just exactly alike that was what you know I'd been hearing even like in high school my friend would tell me that and I so he was this myth mythical character to me kind for like of, a long time for at least a couple of years oh that's funny I would say um yeah she really really liked him, thought so highly of him and was, you know, we were best friends at the time. She was like my high school best friend. And she was like, you guys, you're just exactly like you would love each other, which is the thing that then kind of echoed in my mind forever of like, oh, well, is the person that you're meant to be with in a romantic relationship, the person that you are exactly like, you know? Right. Do you need somebody who's not like you? Right. I don't know. Still don't really know. But that was what I was excited about or what I felt like she was telling me that you should be with this person because you're just like them. And, you know, lo and behold, when we did meet um, on this trip, you know, this like week-long trip that I took to Colorado right after my freshman year of college, we were just totally infatuated with each other. It was really like a love at first sight. Um, And 
I think we enjoyed so much about the fact that we had so many similarities, you know, for all the reasons I talked about before. It's just, it's comforting in some way, or it was to me, and I think it was to him. We're both left-handed. We're both like, you know, super hardcore about our, our diets because of being athletes. And we you just guys, really you saw guys, eye to eye. You guys are hardcore about everything, by I the know. way. <laughs> <laughs> intense. You are so intense, both yeah. of you. Um, so you... <laughs> You go back to school. Yes. So I went back to Indiana, studied journalism, was feeling, um, I had assumed that in quitting ballet, I would feel a loss, you know, I would, and that, that I wasn't would, there. I would grieve this loss of that identity as a ballerina. Yeah. But because, you know, he came along right at that moment. Oh, he filled the gap. Yeah. He filled the hole. I think so. In hindsight, I really do. But that also leads you in the future to question, was he just filling a hole? Probably. Right? Yeah. And and like, was that meant to be? But of course, like the pairing, but it leads to other issues. So you end up going back to school, then you ask your parents if you can... Move to Colorado to continue going to school there because I and just... And move in with and your move husband. In with and they said yes, That's which intense. is okay. kind of amazing. Your mom has... The best quote in here, though. I know. It was very... Do you remember what it was specifically? If not, we can find it. We can find it. But the gist of it is that work will come and go, but relationships are what matters. Yep. I have it right here. I highlighted this one as well, too. It's pretty much exactly what you just said. (laughs) My mom would be She says, you you were asking her whether or not you could go do this thing. Mm -hmm. And she says, uh, relationships are more important than anything else. Work comes and goes. People are what's important. Exactly what you just said. Yeah, you're right. It struck me as being the so not mom thing to say. Mm. Later on, she becomes more of a mom and tells you you need to pay your own bills. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, I was shocked at the time. Yeah, that they were willing to help me, you know, switch schools and move in with this person. But you they know. had met him. They had met him. Yeah. And they liked him, obviously. Yeah, they did. I think they liked him right off the bat. Okay, so you move in. You have this relationship. You are living in Boulder together. Mm-hmm. Then he is moving to LA. Mm-hmm. You're going to move to LA with him. Mm-hmm. You get engaged. You got married yeah. in Boulder. Yes. So obviously you're moving together. Yeah. When was, I guess, moving into the parts and sort of jumping around a little bit, when was that moment then that you wanted to open up the relationship? And what was the impetus for that? I wish I could. I don't know that I can pinpoint an exact moment, but. The moment that I think I chose. You talk about, you you know what, for me, you, I see it where it starts becoming a normal relationship. Mm -hmm. Like you talk about spooning together and what do you call it when you have to lay side by side? Uh, I think I just call it, let's do side by side. (laughs) Let's do side by side because it's either going to lead to sex or you just want to get some sleep or whatever. But it's, it's part of those, the normalcy of the relationship. Where it just becomes more companionate. You know, it loses the feelings of like lustiness that it had in the beginning. So this was leading up to that wanting the open relationship. So tell me what you were going to say. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, I don't know if I exactly, I would think I was just saying that I don't know if there was an exact moment, but that it was just this series of moments or feelings like the one you're describing where it starts to just kind of become like, you know, and sometimes... I would, I would feel like, oh, I sort of feel like roommates. Like we're really good roommates. Like we get along but is that so a real well, relationship? but it's not, I missed, um, you know, I just missed that feeling of, um, 
newness and excitement that you get with someone when you start a relationship, which I think, I don't know, everyone I've ever talked to has had a long-term relationship has experienced that. I think for me, w- when I'm in a relationship and I've, I've been married twice now. Oh yeah. I really like doing it. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I, for me, I think it's interesting when the relationship becomes normalized you start looking for things to fill the gaps in your life or mm-hmm. things that are not necessarily, they may be adequate, but they're not, they're not exciting or they're not um, compensating for your inadequacies. Mm-hmm. So I know that's when I become, I, or I start searching and looking for other things. And yeah. it, it takes a long time to figure I'm 41 now. I'm just now becoming okay with myself mm-hmm. to know that my relationship with my partner is okay. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that's a big part of it too, is I put so much emphasis on that relationship needing to do everything for me to solve every problem or fill every hole. And you know, like you're saying, and, and while I still now in a monogamous relationship, see the shortcomings of that and know that I can't do that. I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out how to, um, how to be whole on my own without having to try to make my partner, you know, fulfill all these roles. But at the time I was like, I'm putting too much on you. I can't ask you to be my lover, my mother, my teacher, my, you know, like rent sharer, all these things. So I'm going to go and find someone else to, you know, be in a romantic relationship too and spread it around. So I'm not like putting all my eggs in your basket. (laughs) But this is something you bring up in the book that I think is really interesting. And you allude to it through, you don't necessarily always say it outright, but you give yourself the reason to say yes to things. Hmm. So in, in the book, you, you mention specifically about a time where he wanted to, he was going off to a, a, a three month long residency. Right. And he asked you for permission because you were in the open relationship, but he said, what would you, and it was the first time he was experimenting with that and Mm -hmm. he hadn't done it yet. Mm -hmm. So he asked your permission before you went and you were thinking about this woman that you had met in London and you wanted to be with her Mm -hmm. in some form. Mm -hmm. So you said yes to him so that you could have the thing that you wanted. Right. Which right, is kind of a shitty way. To it's be. fucked up, but it's <laughs> it's totally real. Yeah, we we all do that. Yeah, you're always thinking. I mean, I don't know. Selfish in some yeah, form. You're thinking of about course yourself. you are. Of course you can't not. It was in in it. I have to say the moments like that, and you see it multiple times, but you call yourself out throughout the book on that, and you know that it isn't quite right, but you're still doing it anyway. Yes. You have to, right? Right. You kind of have to go through those things. I think to, I don't know at least this has been my experience is that sometimes you have to do these things to then not do them later. Yeah. And I, I have to like, for me, it, it made me love you even more. Thank like you. it made me really appreciate you as a person, even if I didn't know you mm-hmm. looking at this and understanding to, to be that person to understand that you're doing that to somebody yeah. else. It's funny though, you know, that's the <clears throat> benefit of the hindsight of, you know, all these years um, oh yeah, you didn't know that. Sign. I didn't know that. Then I just, I of course thought, yeah, I'm, of course, <laughs> you should do that for totally unselfish reasons. You should do that, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm being, I'm being great. I'm being very, yeah, graceful about this. So, <laughs> so it leads to this thing, 
and we've briefly spoken about this, it leads to this thing where then all of a sudden you guys are both in relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. But the thing that made me really uncomfortable is that you tell each other details about those sexual experiences to the point of showing pictures, not of the sexual experiences, Mm -hmm. but of like private moments Mm -hmm. where this woman who you were in a relationship came and stayed with you in your house. Mm -hmm. Well, your husband was away. Right. And there was like a photo of her things on, on the dresser or something like, like your space like her stuff in, from her pockets. Yeah. 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 Which is fucked. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. That's a, that's a detail that that's probably one of the last details that I put in the book. Is that right? Yeah. Because I think, you know, I was looking for places to really, um, by the way, when I say fucked, I just mean, it's like, it's, it, I don't mean, <laughs> no, I don't no. mean, you know what I mean? I appreciate that. it. No, I, I it's, mean, it, it's so stressful. Yeah. And I think that I was, we were really looking for places, my editor and I, to, to, to create depth within the story and yeah, like the and richness and sort of the character development in there. I think so. And, and also to really show what, um, how difficult I was making this, you know, and how. Do, so that was, okay. So this was purposeful on, I mean, obviously you wrote the book, but you and your editor wanted to show how you were creating a situation that was not going to work out in the end. I think so. Yeah. Or to, you know, it, it definitely increases tension to, to have these conflict. details that are, yeah, exactly. That create the conflict because there is that series of events that you're talking about where, you know, once he has moved to New York to do a, he, another he had a, residency. Another residency. That's a year long. Such a hard life this guy has. I know, right? <laughs> But I stayed, I wanted to stay in LA both because I didn't want to leave my job and uproot my life and move to New York and start over. You were, you were successful. Yeah. I was really happy and successful in my job and I was supporting basically the two of us at that time. So I want to go back to that as well. We'll go back to that. But, um, so I, and I also had this relationship, this sort of developing relationship with this woman that was long distance who lived in London. And I wanted the opportunity to have her come and stay with me when he, since he was gone in New York. You knew that was coming up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, again, it's always about like, how can I fill this void? God forbid I'm alone, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, I'm the same way. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, you know, we're humans. We like, we like to be with other humans. So at any rate, um, that period of time where I first go, she spends a couple of weeks with me right when he leaves, you know, and our relationship like kind of deepens. And then I go to visit him in New York for the first time. And it's scary because I don't know, you know, how it's going to be. And I... This is when you're dressing like him. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. all those little parts, you know. You would cut your hair as I'd well, too. I cut my too. hair. I was dressing like her. So I sort of appear in New York and I'm like kind of unrecognizable to the person that, you know, he left behind. And at this moment, though, too, you are sharing these experiences. You're talking to her every day. Mm -hmm. She's sending photos. You're sending photos back and forth to her. But at the same time, you're doing that with your husband. Yeah. Because you're trying to keep up the normalcy of that relationship. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to cheat on him in a way. It feels like to me. Yeah. I also don't. Yeah. I guess cheat is a a fine word to use there because I don't want to. I'm trying not to cheat that relationship. You don't want to give him any less than what you're giving somebody else. So if she gets a photo, he's going to get a photo too. But it was doctored to fit his narrative of what you were. Right. So you you had lipstick on and you do a cute pose where... It might be a little more butch if mm-hmm. you send it to her, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I really wanted to try to maintain both relationships, you know, which was completely exhausting and just 
like ridiculous to think that I could, you know, that I could like have this balance between the two. I don't know. I tried. (laughs) Well, no, I think it's a reasonable expectation. It's like what we were talking about. You're trying to balance what you're not getting from one relationship with what you're getting from the other one. Yeah. But ultimately what you realize is that all of the things that you're doing to the people who you're in those relationships with, because neither one of those individuals doesn't want you as a whole. Right. Right. Yeah. They, they don't want a half of you or a part of you. They want you as the real thing Mm -hmm. sitting in front of them. That's why they're attracted to you. Right. So you working through whatever you got to fucking work through. Mm -hmm. And I say the same thing for myself. Yeah. It doesn't like the reflection upon how you're treating those other people in the end Mm -hmm. is what it sort of comes down to. And I just had a real, and I don't, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I had a real, um, desire to not try to obscure what I was doing from my husband. Well, this is why you shared everything. Right. Cause I thought in, you know, I do say this in the book too, like I equated this idea of total transparency with purity in a way. If we're like, if everything's out in the open, then there's just like, there's no secrets. So it's pure. It's and that, okay. Yeah. And that, that how, somehow makes it okay. And that came back to bite you in the ass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was what I thought, you know, and I think that came from, I don't know, reading, like I read a lot of literature about polyamory and tried to learn how best to go about setting up these relationships so that they would work, you know, but in the end, you always have to kind of find your own way to make a relationship work no matter what. And so I tried that (laughs) and that was really painful. And do you think, and this might be the overall question on this and it might be the, the answer just might be individually for you, but does the open relationship work? I I really think, you know, how you define a relationship working is there's so many ways to define it. Does it, does working mean it lasts? Does working mean it is beneficial for the, all the parties in it? You know what I mean? So I do think that it works in some way, um, depending on your definition. I think for me and my husband, like that it couldn't have continued any longer. You know, I don't think that it, I do think that it was valuable. You were going to have to make a decision. Yeah. I think it was valuable, but I don't think it was sustainable in the same way that I do think that our monogamous relationship is much more sustainable. Yeah. You know, and at the time I would have hated to hear myself say that, but I absolutely have experienced that truth, I think for myself. Well, there's a growth there too, right? You understand yourself. Yeah. I understand myself better, a lot better because of the, uh, because of having gone through those experiences and how trying it was probably yeah so you spoke briefly about this earlier uh, money mm-hmm. and in the book this is a it's an issue and you wrote about this previously in an article that you wrote was it gawker um in buzzfeed buzzfeed okay mm-hmm. so you wrote about this earlier for an article in buzzfeed mm-hmm. i took the part out of the buzzfeed article and related it to and i thought well how fucked up is this? Mm-hmm. Because you were talking about supporting your husband at the time while he was doing his art. Mm-hmm. And the book gave me a completely new perspective on what that meant. Yeah. Well, it's funny because pe- a lot of people in my life, I think, were upset by that article because, and I think that, yeah, I, well, I realized that you sp- all the other context around it is what you need to. Kind well, of- I think, yes, because it didn't fill in. So like for me, okay. So like if we're going to fill in on the article in 
once again, correct me if I'm wrong yeah. on this, but basically one of the parts in the article was essentially like, I'm empowered to do this thing with the open relationship because I'm the person supporting us in this way, or that's how, that's the interpretation that a part of it gave me, right? That's interesting because it's very similar to the way that I thought about it, but slightly different and not like, not so much my own personal experience of it wasn't about like, I have the power to do this, but more like I'm asking for this in return because I feel like... But it's an exchange. Right. It's an exchange. And because I... Less like, oh, I'm supporting you, so I have the power. More like, I felt like supporting was a burden. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it goes deeper. We'll go more yeah. into that. But I think that's just an interesting, that you can look at it both ways, absolutely. But the first thing I thought of with that was like, it wouldn't be okay for me to do that. Mm -hmm. Like as the man in the mm -hmm. relationship supporting my spouse, if I asked for that, it would not be all right. So it was this, it was this weird thing for me where I was like, I don't get how you balance that perspective. Yeah. In my mind. But then coming to realize things are not built equally between men and women to begin with. No. Right. So Especially not in the work world, but yeah. Well, not in the work world, but even the relationship world too. Like we want to pretend that outside looking in that things are level, the playing field is completely even for anything. But just by the sheer nature that you, you carry someone in you for nine months and have this, if you're a mother, yeah. If you're a mother, but and have that—that's what I'm saying—and have that connection to that individual, and often are the primary caregiver because of those specific reasons. The the difference in what is it the expectations out of that relationship are completely different as well, too. Right, but also I think maybe more importantly, at least about the time that I was writing about, is like you know whether or not you strive to have some kind of equality in your relationship between a man and a woman, let's say, like you just have all of like what culture and That's history what I mean. is. Yes, exactly. You, you know, so like all of that on, weight, you can be the most progressive, you know, like open minded person. But I think, yeah, you have all of that on your shoulders and behind you. So it's, t it's really hard to work against. So in the book, you clarify some of those things that I had an issue with in the article. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I didn't get the full picture. Yeah, well, and this is this is <laughs> this is why I apologized a little bit in the beginning mm -hmm. because when I get the full picture, one of the things, and I thought this was really interesting, you introduced your husband to art essentially, right? Like you brought him to his first big museum, mm -hmm. which later collects his work. Yeah, isn't that insane? It's really crazy, Guggenheim, <laughs> God, right? I even the of first that. institution to collect his work was the first institution he visited. Yeah, you're right. Yes, wow, I, I thought about this uncanny. exactly when I was reading it. It's yeah. really crazy. Yeah. So, you introduce him to these things, and then later on in the book, he's dealing with these things. He goes to that residency, and he's with this artist that you had spoken about being interested in ten years pre prior to this. Yeah. Or when I was in eighth grade, I was obsessed with this artist and then he meets her later and goes for a drive in a car yeah. and da, da 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 And he's writing about how he's having a wonderful time and making out with people, not mm -hmm. her specifically, but, and then, but the thing that in bringing this back to you're supporting him while he's doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. So you had introduced this art to him and you, you were an artist before he was, you were a dancer. Right. So, and you gave it up and then he's, leading this life of doing these things that you, that was your life. Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting that we circle back around to uh, something that isn't mentioned in the book, but I think is relevant is that you, he was earning enough money where you quit your job or you, so you could write. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was, um, let's see. So after I graduated from college, 
um, and we were living together, I got an internship at an advertising agency because that's what I studied in school eventually. I studied yeah. copywriting. And I was um, I was working, you know, I was an unpaid intern at this agency. And then I was like waiting tables to make money. And he was, you know, four years older than me and had a career as a software engineer and was making good living. And at a certain point, I realized that a bunch of the other unpaid interns, parents were all supporting them and they didn't work on the side. And they were just really like getting so much more out of the internship because they had all this time to spend. And I was like, you know, and I, I don't remember how it came to be, but he offered after a year of me, you know, waiting tables and, and interning to let me stop working and just focus on the internship so that I could really get my portfolio together. And, you know, that was like sort of scary to me at the time, but because I wasn't sure what that meant to let someone support you. What did you owe them in return? This is your advertising portfolio, right? Yeah. My advertising portfolio. Not writing. No. So I was doing that. So, so it was great because then I did a year of like really intense work on my advertising portfolio. And then when he decided to, when he got into grad school in LA, we moved here here to LA and I got a job right away and he was in grad school. So like I was the one making the money and it was great because I felt like if he hadn't, um, have supported me, you know, for that prior year, then I wouldn't have been able to get that job and support him. So it was always this really nice, like back and forth where well, and sort flipped, of one would take the lead and the other would. And what I was alluding to too, the thing that not in the book was that today or like when you, you recently moved out of LA, right. but he was back to supporting again too yes. a little bit more. Yeah. I know you're still working, but now, yeah, now I started working again, yeah. but yeah, I did, I did take a year off of working, um, in advertising to just focus on this book. But what I think is nice about this is that you are back making art again. Yeah. Right. You're mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. So what I thought you, you've come full circle into this thing where you're doing the thing you wanted to be doing all along. Yeah and introduced him to in the mm-hmm. beginning and mm-hmm. this idea of that, that tension between where does supporting someone and it all came to like a resolution in the end, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that was what I always, and that's what's inspired me so much about this relationship is I feel like we've always found a way to, um, to, so that each of us can realize our goals or dreams. And, and I think in, over the years, I've matured enough to realize that they can't necessarily both happen simultaneously, you know. And sometimes you have to kind of take a little more of the support role or sometimes you it's your moment to shine or whatever, you know. You make choices for yourself still. Right. Which I think are important. Yeah. And one of the things that in in the book that I think is really, really, really nice, you talk about this the twins and having to partner with somebody and not wanting to be alone. But really when it comes down to it is you are finally comfortable being the person that you want to be and making decisions that are good for you, but also good for your partner. Right. And I mean, I'm dealing with that like today, you know, like it's just this, it's going to be this ever evolving thing of like trying to do what I feel like is right for me and still honor and have empathy for the people that I care the most about, you know? And I don't think that I don't, the only way to do that is kind of to go back to something we said earlier of like trying to figure out how to do that and then sometimes making a mistake and being like, oh, that that was a little too much for me and a little not enough for you or finding that sweet spot. So this brings me directly into sort of the last point I want to make about mm-hmm. this is that the end of the book comes to a really nice conclusion. You buy your home, you're working 
things out together and you're figuring out that this is what you need or what you want Mm -hmm. out of life. Mm -hmm. What I brought up in the beginning is I met you guys, both of you right at the end of this, Mm -hmm. like right. And it was, and I had texted your, I called him on the phone before you came over and I said, I got to be honest, like reading this thing at three in the morning, the most surreal part is knowing the people involved and hearing all of this in a in one way and then coming to the end of it and being a participant at the very end. Mm-hmm. But the story didn't end. Mm-hmm. So I think when you look at, and I think that was a very real thing for me, is whenever you look at a book and you see the conclusion of this thing, it's not the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Like you guys were still working through the things that took place all the way through the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Up until years later, right? Yeah. The repercussions of these things have effects and you are still dealing with those. I mean, they do, they influence, how can they not? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I mean, people have also asked, like, why did you decide to end the book there? You know, you could have ended it at any other time, but it just felt, was one of those things I think anytime you're like really in the, the zone, like making your art where you're just like, no, that's the end. You just know. You just you know? know. There's just a way to know. It just felt right. The image, everything came together. And I was like, this is the, the the closing of a particular chapter. And it felt really neat for me. So I didn't want to continue writing. You know, I could have then written about so much that happened after that. That's right. still related to the topic. But Second book. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no. <laughs> you wouldn't. Wait, wait, You Would you... You're, you're, you're a writer. Yeah. You've written before this too, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and published. I've been very comfortable. The type of writer that I am is, like I said, I want to write to understand something. And, you know, for better or for worse, like that means that I write about experiences that I've had or been very close That's to. That's when they come across the most honest. Right. And so I would like to, you know, I think my challenge for myself is trying to find a way to write about topics that interest me that are not based so closely in my own experience because I, I struggle to, (laughs) to be able to put myself into someone else's shoes sometimes, you know, as I, as I show in the book here. And I think that that is like one of the greatest things that you could do is to like really be able to inhabit someone else's experience and feel it. Um, and I want to be able to do that in my own life, but I think that doing it in like writing would be a good way to, practice that for life so at any rate I I the thing that I'm most interested in writing right now is a is actually a tv show that based in things I'm really interested in but not necessarily have experienced how did you approach your husband to tell him you were writing this book and how was he okay with it yeah I don't remember a specific moment again because I think I it started as a collection of you know little essays here and there little like prose poems the way that it appears it's beautifully written like the way that it's it's little sections of, but they all flow together. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I'd written a couple of those little sections and I started telling him about it. You know, this was probably six or seven years ago. Oh, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And just little by little. And at the time, and so he was aware that I was writing about when I can't, I think when I had the epiphany of this twin handle, let's say, um, of that, I was like, I, I see this pattern in my life where I've been, trying to like make myself into another person to find this twin. And when I read this book about vanishing twin syndrome, I shared all of that stuff with him. And I think that he was like, yeah, that, that really makes sense. Um, 
And so I think he... But he didn't think you were going to write a book about it. (laughs) No, (laughs) he he did. And I think he was like, okay, yeah, that's an interesting thing to explore these experiences through this lens or whatever. And then... Do you think that he actually thought that it was going to come to fruition, though, when he told you to do that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, because back to what we said... You're very ambitious. Like, if you're going to fucking do it, you're going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally down the line when we'd get... We'd talk about it and I'd be like, I don't even know. People don't read books. Who's ever going to read this even? And oh, he was bullshit. like, I think people are going to read this book. And, you know. He's always been, from my side of it and seeing, he's always been incredibly supportive. Yeah. And the entire time that you've been writing this and, and putting it together, he's talked to me privately about it. Yeah. And always, every time he, he would read drafts of it. Mm-hmm. And it would make me excited to read it because I didn't know what was going on. Right. But he was excited about it as it was happening. I'm really glad to hear that from that perspective. Yeah. But yeah, it was that that process was um, a a very important part of I think the continuing evolution of our relationship too, of like oh. being able to deal with each other's um, desires or feelings, and you know, and still find that commonality or common ground or root for each other and. Um, yeah, but I didn't want to share it with him until I felt like I had something that was whole. So it was years before I showed him a first draft and then he didn't, you know, he didn't feel good about that first draft. So I worked for years, <laughs> probably. I mean, that first draft that I showed him was probably four. Did, when did you, three, four did you have to ago. let go at a certain point of him being okay with it? Well, no. <laughs> you, so you were, you needed it to be. I really wanted him to be supportive of be what okay that material with it was. Because I cared too much about. Um, I think you should, us. by the way. But yeah, yeah. I cared too much about, He's your partner. about us to. I, yeah, I just, I wouldn't want to make something that made him feel terrible, you know? And so I worked really hard to try to show, um, to render him as a full character. That was really my biggest challenge was like, I wanted him to, I wanted anyone that read the book to um, see what I saw in him and why I would want to keep being in a relationship with him. You both come across as um, you have good qualities and you have bad qualities. Both of you. We're human. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, he's not put on a pedestal in any way, shape or form either. Right. He does things in there that you're a little bit like, uh, it's a bit fucked. Yeah. Like some of those, some of those, it's just, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted, you know, the same thing, like when you're writing about yourself, you can't, you have to, the inclination at the beginning is to like be a little too easy on yourself. Yeah. And that's why those things at the end, you know, like I said, I added about, you know, how transparent I was and how hurtful, you know, I like, if I hadn't, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was willing to like really admit that stuff about myself. Yeah. And who wouldn't be? Yeah. Well, and that was, was a big part of the process and I, I needed to feel human on the page just like he did too. Leah, thank you for taking the time to come speak with me. And especially when it's a sensitive subject between two friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really, really appreciate it. I think it's been amazing. The book is amazing. I wish you the best on all of it, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you.